This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. And today we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, we have got Birmingham City's assistant head coach, Keith Downing. And of course, significantly for this podcast, Keith is also a former Albion assistant head coach, a former Albion Academy um, coach, a, a former Albion caretaker manager as well so a varied career with the blue and white stripes so very big welcome to you Keith and thank you so much for coming on thank you Chris that was a long list wasn't it (laughs) (laughs) it was mate it just it just reflects what a long career you've had (laughs) yeah staying in the game yeah so no thoroughly enjoyed my time at West Brom and um I'm currently now employed by Birmingham and um yeah we've had a satisfying year we obviously were pleased to stay up and that was the remit at the start of the season but um yeah, still going and still enjoying it. That's the key. Well, before we get on to the baggies, let's let's get the elephant out uh, out the room uh, in terms of Birmingham City because you absolutely had our number this season uh, in both games. <laughs> uh, was was it a specific game plan going into the the, the games with with Albion? Because uh, to be honest, I don't recall us actually being as on the back foot against anyone as we were in the two games against Blues. I think they're probably the two most disappointing games of the entire season for me. Yeah, I, I think thinking about the game plan at uh, the Hawthorns, it was a little bit different. Obviously, Steve Bruce was in charge and, um, you know, we were, I think we had to sort of get our own identity really, Chris, and our own, own identity was probably counter-attacks. And I thought probably that was our best counter-attacking display Um and Scott Hogan obviously getting a hat-trick on the back of it. Uh, it was probably our best away performance, I would say, right up there. And the game plan worked and the players implemented it superbly well. The one at home, I think, was a slightly different. We'd sort of gone to a bit of a diamond and were very much on the front foot. We wanted to try and, um, you know, at, certainly at St Andrews, to try and get that front foot feeling and try and put people under pressure. And I think, again, first half, the free kick with Hannibal, 
um, set us on our way and we played a, a very, very good home game. So I think you've got us on our best performances. We've we've had some indifferent ones in the past, but um, that was certainly the two games that were probably right up there, highlighted Birmingham season, yeah. Yeah, I think I've I've heard that from Birmingham a lot of Birmingham fans that generally we 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 caught the uh, the the very sharp end of your two best performances really of of the, of the season so uh, very much unlucky us I ha- I have to say um <laughs> but but yeah fair play to you I, I, I there's there's some games this season where I I begrudge the opposition the three points but Blues thoroughly deserved it in in both games so fair play to them um yeah. mo- moving on from Birmingham City uh, Pete and that's one uh, Pete and Keith that's one elephant out the out the room let's get the other out the room of course you do have an affiliation to uh, our near neighbours uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers and um you've played in black country derbies but from my point of view Keith unfortunately not in the right strip um <laughs> what yeah. were those games in the sort of like late 80s early 90s like to play uh, because Pete's far too young to re- remember those heady days but I was going to games uh, back uh, back then I was going to black country derbies and my memory of them was they were ferocious they were um probably less football than there is shown now um it was more physicality uh you obviously had to come out on top of your player that you were coming up against uh, i think probably the added the added sort of edge to it was obviously steve bull and andy thompson robbie dennison that were sort of ex albion players and and were released by albion and and obviously went to to wolves so there was a bit of an added edge to that and i, and I think probably um, I mean, I was I, going back to school days, Chris. I, I mean, I lived in Albury and Albury Quinton Way, so it was kind of it was more Albion Villa, really, where I was was living. So it was never really as much as the the edge as it is now. Um, I don't know whether that was because of the Steve Ball situation had gone across crossed over allegiances, and but certainly the games were ferocious. They were they were very evenly poised, and you know with having Steve Ball and Andy Much at the time, you always had a chance of scoring goals in, with that team. And um, I think I I played in in. In, I think I played in four and I don't think I got beat um, and that's not being big headed, but I don't think I got beat. I think we drew at home 2-2 at, at Molyneux. Uh, the rest, we won 2-1 with Steve getting uh, getting the winner. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, there were always, there were always tough games and um, there was always that sort of extra spice to it. So, um Enjoyed them. Um, I mean, I was a competitor anyway in terms of physicality. Wanted to compete, and and that was sort of my type of game. But I enjoyed it. I never. I don't know, Chris. I never had the rivalries. Probably some of the most of the supporters have. I, you know, I, I, I've I've enjoyed being in both camps. I mean, in the Wolves situation. I was there for as a player for seven and coach for four. So it was eleven years of my my football career as a, at Wolves, and then obviously Albion. I've had five five and a half really enjoyable years. So, and and I've, I'm probably one of the few people in the Midlands who would like everybody to be successful. And, and, uh, and, and I get, the, I get the rivalry and, and obviously that gives it the edge to, to most derbies, you know. I imagine though, and you probably, to be honest, Keith, it probably actually helps to have uh, to have that approach so that you don't get caught up in the emotion of the occasion. But I imagine as well, going out there, you 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 have to appreciate probably as players what it means to the supporters um, before you step step over that white line. Yeah, living in the area, Chris gives you that help, and obviously when you're when you're trying to. Uh... 
give that information to people who don't live in the area. You know, it, it means a lot. People working together, um, all the banter, all that sort of um, free reign of sort of, a, you know, that banter that's going across in terms of the workplaces and, and even families, you know. So, yeah, it's it's uh, there's certainly an, an extra spice to it and an, an extra edge. But, you know, um, going back to it, I, I probably, you know, at the time, um it was, it, I mean, Wolves were at the time beneath the baggies, really, because... Well, you'd just come back, hadn't you? Yeah. From, from I mean, almost was, exile. Absolutely. I mean, 86, 87 was, I think, you know, virtually wound up. And then the back of the Graham Turner uh, revival. And uh, we had such momentum at that time. We came up to the two lower leagues. Um, and, of course, Albion were, were sort of in and around it, but certainly were, were better uh, in terms of performance one and ability-wise. But... We were on the way back and I think we got a sort of um, a little bit of momentum there going into those sort of period of games. But I think Albion had the number at the end. I think, you know, they went on. I think Graham Taylor took over and I think, you know, Albion won. I remember a game sort of 3-2, something like that. Darren Bradley, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I think they got sort of revenge, you know, as the the years went by. But um, always very feisty. Moving on to the Albion, Keith, and I, I believe two thousand and nine, you you joined uh, you joined the club. I, I mean, first of all, I've always wondered this uh, about about coaches because it's not it's not like there's um, an Indeed dot com for coaches jobs. How do you how do you go about getting coaches job? Is it is it people knowing you and approaching you and kind of going, look, I want you to be a part of my of my coaching team. Do you actively apply for 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 vacant coaches jobs? I've always kind of wondered how how that process actually actually works. Well, the situation at West Brom was I'd actually just been at uh, Cheltenham, I think, for about 15 months as a manager. And um, I was out of work, Chris, for about 10 months. It was my longest period out of work. So um, that goes into a process. Then, obviously, you're trying to make people aware of your uh, services. And I remember uh, having a, a chat with Dan Ashworth about it and and Dan said, look, come for the interview. Um, and it was the youth job uh, at the time. So I'd obviously been a senior manager. And I think Dan wanted to put that element into the youth game to what does it take to to cross the line into mm-hmm. a senior level. So he wanted somebody, not so much in terms of a youth developer, but certainly a, a first team edge to it. And that was the opportunity I got. And I'll be honest, I went in there really pleased to have the job because obviously I've been out of work for 10 months. And I have to say with Dan and Mark Harrison, there was a real um, education there for for youth developing. So I was probably back in my mid 40s at the time. So I was learning so much even at, at, at that part of my career to learn how to develop players. Um, so that was my way in at West Brom. Um, I think so much now in terms of coaches now, I think most of them have agents. Most of them have connections now within the football world. I've probably lived off a little bit of my old-fashioned reputation. So you, you try and hopefully that your name goes around the, uh, around the, the football world to say, look, he's a, he's a competent coach. So, you know, I, I tend to not try and push myself as much as I should, probably should do network-wise. But... I think reputation and I think, you know, the, the experiences that I've had now in 25, 27 years of coaching, um, having a full remit of senior level and also developing, you know, it gives you that all that experience helps you along the way. So West Brom was a great in for me in terms of the, the development side of it. They had a very, very reputable, as they do now, 
a reputable youth system. Um, it was never going to compete with the Villas down the road um, in terms of mon- monetary um, expenditure, uh, it, but it had a real good connection with the local community and I think got a lot of good local players along the way. And I learned a lot. And I, li- I was there for, I think, probably two years, went into the reserve management with um, when Michael Appleton stepped up. Um, and I did a bit of reserve football as well. So that was that sort of bridging from youth level to, to senior level, which was, again, good experience for me. Obviously, you went into coaching as a former professional player. How And most coaches, managers that, that do coach at the top level are former professionals. How important do you think it is for coaches to be former professionals and, and for what reason? Well, I think I think there is an importance to it, but you don't have to be, Pete. I, I think, you know, there's obviously very good coaches that haven't played at particularly high standards. Um, I think what playing does gives you those kind of nuances, the, 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 the actual individual coaching expertise that you've actually played the game. So you kind of understand where people are. Um, so I mean by nuances, it means like actually coach the game, coaching in terms of positional sense, in terms of, um, dealing with certain problems on the pitch if someone's physically stronger than you and how do you how do you uh, you know combat that so all those kind of things are I think really important actually having a feel for the game uh, but again I don't think you necessarily have to play to coach I think there's lots of good guys out there that have uh, been analytically uh, studied the game tactically um, but certainly from my point of view I think and also, I think along the way, Pete, what you do is you, you you have conversations with current players, and you know, and you pick their brains. And I think that's really important from coaching perspective is that they play the game, you watch the game, and I think that's really important that you understand that, and you actually don't have all the answers. You have to build a relationship. If you said to me, "What's a good coach?" It's about a person that builds relationships. Be a good person. Always be uh, willing to try and help that player. And I think that goes a long way. hope I've answered that, but, you know, it's a long way around about it. But I think it's important that both, I think you can be analytically and I think you can also play the game to be a good coach. You you mentioned uh, as well there, Keith, that um, when you actually went uh, went and spoke to Dan, he said, you know, I want somebody who knows what it takes for players to make that step up from the youth level to a senior level. What does it take because uh, because it's i mean certainly from your in your career you you know you worked with an excellent group of young players at West Bromwich Albion you've also worked with some of the elite young players that this country has to has to offer at England level at under 19 and under 20 level and yet even even at that level even at that point in their career not all of them make it mm-hmm. as as top as top club players what sets them what sets them apart because i mean we 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 had jimmy shan on as you know and and, and we yes. actually talked to him about this and he said he gave taylor gardner hickman as an example he said you could just see he said ability wise he was behind some of them but you could see that he wanted it more um is 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 that really the deciding is deciding factor when you kind of get to that make or break stage I think there's a lot of factors, Chris, to it. I mean, I mean we, we spoke about this before. Can any coach tell you that this lad's going to make it? No. Um, I think there is a saying that football decides that. And the many factors are, Chris, is that, you know, you just mentioned it might be in terms of technical ability. It might be a characteristic. It might be a physical uh, situation that maybe stop players from going all the way. 
Um, particularly when, you know, they're age 18, 19 and 20, they still haven't fully matured. So there might be a deficiency in the physicality side of it. There might be a deficiency somewhere in the mental side of it, that people having to compete and play at a consistent level, it might be too much for people. The best ones I've always felt that they're probably, the biggest thing is the love of the game. People like Foden, who um, I've worked with, is just, you know, he's the last off the pitch, he's the first on the training pitch. There is just a general desire and love for it. Saido Birohina, when he was first started out, was very, very similar. Um, there, there is that love and, you know, actual passion for the game, which um, I always think the better ones have. I also think that they also take information on very much, very uh, much earlier or quicker than, than than some. You know, there is a saying that you, know, if you can, you know, if you give information out and they take it on board very, very quickly, then that that helps in terms of their development and their speed of development. So they're they're, they're like that, but but also, you know, I think an all round game. Um, you know, there's very much about they, they can get general leaders on the pitch, not just in terms of voice, but in terms of their actions, and they can grab a game by the scruff of the neck. Um, so, yeah, there's many, many factors, and, and, and there's many factors that one or two that fail, you know, as well. And it's such a competitive world. Um, you know, there is certainly what the championship where I'm working at the moment, the physicality of it um, is is a huge. I mean, we've got some really good youngsters, Bellingham, Joe Bellingham, that's Jude Bellingham's brother, um, Alfie Chang, Jordan James, George Hall. They've all been on the England and Wales international scene. So they have certain talent, but it's a huge, um, a huge step for them to compete regularly on the championship at the age of 18 and 19. And, you know, we have to be, as coaches, have to be very mindful of that and a duty of care to, to treat these people um, with, um, you know, with understanding that this is not going to happen overnight. They're not going to hit the ground running straight away. Some, there is the odd Jude Bellingham that, that suddenly is the one in the every decade, the, you know, the Wayne Rooney's. Um, you know, they come along every now and again, but the majority need time, need patience and uh, need some love and, and, and understanding about it. And I think, there's a lot that are under pressure at such a, an early age, um, and you know it's difficult for them. They need the, they need everybody's support, you know, in terms of the, the physical side of it, the, the, the sports science people, um, the analytical people that, that judge the games, and, and we have to have an all round holistic thing that, that that looks after these players and tries and get them over the line. There's one name there that you mentioned within all that that I just want to delve into a little bit deeper because you mentioned Sido's name and. Yeah. You, 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 you witnessed his journey, really. You know, you, you, you managed him as a young, as a young player. You saw him go on mixed loans, to be fair. You know, some of them worked, some of them didn't. But then when you came in as caretaker, he was massive for you to scored two huge goals for, uh, for you at West Ham. And then, and then the winner against Newcastle, which okay was, was a penalty, but that was a really high pressure moment for a young player to pick that ball up and take it. Yeah. Are, you, are you, I mean, first of all, what do you make of, of Sido overall? And are you surprised that his, because his career, the season after that, when uh, obviously you, you, you departed midway, midway through, was really a breakthrough season for him. And there was talk of, uh, of Tottenham and, uh, and, and he was in an England squad. He didn't get on the pitch, but he was in an England mm. squad. That to where he is now is a shock to a lot of people. Is it to you? Um, 
Yeah, because, I mean, potentially he, he had it all. Um, and equally, he had a passion for the game. He Again, he was a very much a, a very big trainer, would always work on his game, work on his finishing. Um, but as I mentioned before, Chris, there's lots of other factors that go with it. You know, the, there is the, uh, you know, not just the physical and the technical side of it, the social side, the, 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 the mentality side, you know, and... You know, all those have got to go in the right place and fit in the right place. And and and, and I think Sido got affected with the fact the transfer thing never went through. I've never spoken to Sido about it, but, you know, obviously he felt he was a little bit hard done by whatever the reasons were. Uh, and then, you know, things didn't materialise after that. So, but, you know, there was a huge responsibility on him, you know, in terms of his... Uh, he, he shot to fame, so to speak, really. I mean, he was going through nicely in terms of um, you know, youth team and reserves, and then suddenly he got uh, he got a situation when he played. I remember him playing at um, you know at Manchester United and, and, and scoring scoring at Man United, and suddenly that fame shot there within two three weeks, uh, and he was thrusted out there. Now whether he could have socially or mentally uh, handled all that, um, obviously the results say that maybe he couldn't. But you know. It, it, it was important that we had to try and support that and, and try and help him through those situations. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry that he didn't fulfil probably what, what his potential uh, had shown us at an early age. But as I said before, that there's, there's lots of other factors that we, I'm sure if, you, if you've ever had a chance to speak to me, probably explain a few situations. But, you know, it, it wasn't through... Um, it wasn't through certainly um, throwing it all away. I think, you know, he tried exceptionally hard trying to resurrect his career in Stoke and, and it didn't happen for him. But um, any one governing factor, probably, there probably was, a, there was a few things, Chris, that probably didn't quite fulfil his potential. Certainly on that day against Newcastle, you as, a, as the manager at that moment in time had an enormous amount of faith in him to give one so young the penalty taking responsibilities in a, in what was a massive game because we really really needed that, that three points at, at that yeah. moment in time we were dangerously close to the uh, to the relegation zone and that was a a huge game so you must have had a huge amount of faith in him to to uh, to to give him penalty taking duties yeah but he practiced them you know and he was the general um you know he was the person that was in charge and and, and t- taking the penalty i mean obviously then on the pitch he has to make that decision is he going to pick the ball up and take it but you know Sido was a, very much confident within his own abilities and um no i i mean he did he did ever so well uh, coming on at, at west ham and you know obviously his confidence was high at that time um but he was he had a you know people talk about it's not just about coaching and about mentoring coaches, players around him, you know, Chrissy Brunt, and, and there were some really good pros around him that that, that, uh, that helped him on his way. I even remember uh, Nicholas Anelka there at the time. You know, Nicholas was, you know, um, a, a character that obviously had done a lot in his career. And I know that Saido sort of um, befriended him and sort of uh, took a lot from his knowledge in terms of a striker and, and Nicholas, you know, has had bad publicity, but you know, within the dressing room, he was very good for the younger younger strikers. And I remember Matty Vidra there as well. He helped them all. Um, so you can obviously get some really good senior players that can help the development of players as well. It's not just about the coaches as well. It's actually what's in the dressing room. 
Yeah, they. I mean, I remember it well actually. That because you, you had a because uh, people forget about uh, about Sido that he's actually a fluent French speaker, and yeah. that, uh, and and he that that little group that you had around that time, which I think was was Yusuf, um, yeah. uh, Nicholas, and Elkra, Morgan, and Malfitano, were actually yeah. they were very very close, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm, I know that they helped him along the way, and. Um... You know, it's important that, you know, certainly when you're coaching, you know, it's not always about the coach that that, that, that can get the best out of people if you realise that there's good pros around it. And, you know, I keep mentioning Chrissy Brook was an excellent pro and long-standing James Morris and people like that. We had a really good set of uh, professional people in the in the dressing room. And I know that they had their uh, their issues with Sido, but certainly it wasn't for the want of trying to get him, you know, on the straight and narrow and helping him. And, um, you know, I think Sido would, would probably agree with that. No, they they just wish he'd kept that ball in the corner against Cardiff. <laughs> That's another story, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. indeed. Just going back to the uh, going back to the the, the youth the, the youth team days, Keith. That was an extremely successful time for 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 the youth team. I mean, we we we've we've seen the benefits over a number of years. To be honest, because we were in the Premier League for such a prolonged period of time. We actually ended up probably selling a lot of the, the those products rather than actually reaping the benefits ourselves. Yep. But nonetheless, yep. you, you, if you go through, if you go onto Transfer Mart, for example, and and pull up Albion's list of academy products, it's a who's who of EFL players at the, yep. uh, at this moment in time, probably over the last ten years. So that yep. it was unbelievable the amount of players that we produced who have gone on to have successful EFL careers. What made that academy team that was Dan obviously started the ball rolling, but then you got yourself like Sir Jimmy, Mark Harrison, Steve Hopcroft, and I apologise to anybody's name of who I've missed off uh, off yeah. this list. Mike Scott as well, yeah, Aaron, Aaron Danks, Danks, who's oh, having yeah. an unbelievable yeah. career. Uh, you know, was was Villa manager for a brief time. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know. So, what made what made that so so successful? Well, I think first and foremost, probably recruitment. You mentioned Steve Hopcroft. I mean, obviously, amongst others, the the, the area um, is very competitive with your Villas and your and your Wolves. Um, so, uh, and 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 I think you know, getting the right players uh, that's really important. So, Steve set the ball rolling by recruiting. And I think, like anything, if you you know, if you want to be a good coach, get good players. And and that that certainly had that batch: Chris Wood, Kamar Roof, George Thorne. You know, um, if I've missed a few, I mean, even, you know, my, my brother's lad, Paul, Paul Downing's made a career out of it. So they were all... Luke Daniels that, as well. Yeah, Luke Daniels. They were all around about that time. And um, and then obviously it was it was the way West Brom had sort of coached. And I think that, you know, Mark Harrison is huge, uh, along with Dan and Mike Scott. And they had, they had um, you know, a certain way of, of, of producing these players and working them on a daily basis. A lot of hours were put in. Um, you know, a lot of credit goes to those all the academy coaches because obviously going up at the dome and they're working there till half past nine, ten o'clock at night. There was a lot of time and a lot of um, effort put into these players, and they worked really hard. And I think with that, good recruitment, with good coaching, you know, you get you get the the, the you know the the, uh, the finished article, and the, and the boys obviously have to apply themselves. Um, it was well supported in terms of the education as well, keeping them on you know, level-headed. And, and I think, you know, it was a good recipe for a successful conveyor belt at, the, at that time. And I, and I still think, you know, they've still got a very 
difficult time even now because obviously there's more money in the game as it was back then and, and there's more now, um, you know, uh, it's certainly more competitors now, you know, across the country now trying to take all the best players and, and obviously with the Brexit situation, that's going to be minimum now of of, of just having the local local boys and, and just nationally now. So it's it's difficult now for the current crop to, to get the best, but... Um, you know, I still think it has a reputable rep- uh, reputation in terms of wh- what it is. West Brom always produce some good young players, and I think it's a credit to the club still now that they do that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I have to say as well, no disrespect to anybody who is who is there now, but very much the likes of um, uh, Mark and uh, and uh, and Steve Hopcroft as well going to Villa is very much Albion's loss and Villa's gain, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reputation goes before them, and that's why you know Aston Villa wanted to get them over there. So, you know, but I know um, you know Richard Stevens is, and, and, and Mickey Housel and people down there, and Richard Beale. They've got some real good uh, coaches that will continue their reputation. And I think you know, in the game, they are uh, you know highly regarded, all of them. Just moving, uh, moving on from your uh, time in the in the academy, um, I, I believe first team coaching. Um, you you stepped into under under Roy when Appy went to Portsmouth. Is that is that correct? Yes, I mean, I mean, Appy took a game. If you remember the memorable game, West Ham at home, we were three 0 up, and he drew all, three. all great Albion caretaker managers draw three three with West Ham, Keith. <laughs> yeah, well, I was I was there to help him because obviously I was doing the reserves, so. Um... Happy to ask me to, to come and help him, which I gladly did. And and um, you know, I remember them the first time thinking this isn't this is an easy this is an easy job, you know, three 0 up. And I'm thinking, well, what's wrong? What's the problem of taking first team football? And then suddenly, we're all screaming in the last five minutes to get back and kick the ball out, and, and we'll take the point. But it it, it was um, it was great experience for me to step up and, and thank Happy for that. And then obviously Happy. We, we then obviously Roy came along. Well, Roy was watching the game, if you remember, mm. uh, and he was uh, he was then appointed on the Monday after, and um, we then got to work with Roy, which was huge education for me. Um, I think he's right up there in terms of coaches that I've worked in, if not the best. And um, I learned so much working with him. And of course, Appy then had the opportunity to go to Portsmouth shortly after, and I thought Roy was going to bring his. Um, you know, he's like his lifelong uh, partner in terms of Ray Lewington and, and, and Ray decided to stay at Fulham and, you know, and Roy, I always remember we were playing Arsenal away and he, 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 we sort of met up in the hotel foyer and he said, listen, I want you to give you give you the job. Will you, you come and help me? And obviously I was uh, delighted to say yes. And, and, and I was uh, there for, for his reign at West Brom. So, but he was he was in terms of coaching, and I think Stephen Reid at the time said, you know, at thirty two, thirty three, I thought I knew everything about the game, but Roy had sort of uh, always had that extra detail, and um, I, I always feel that he was certainly um, instigated Albion's foundation to stay in the Premier League for for a number of years, carried on by Steve Clark, who was another excellent coach. So I worked with some good people there, and, and Roy was right up there. I was going to say, was is that what it was with with Roy that that he was so detail orientated? Because that 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 was what I had the pleasure of, you know, f- from my from my job filming behind a camera to to see some of the training sessions, and it always struck me how he he always had this whistle round his round his neck, and he would he would blow the whistle, and at that point the players had to stand stock still where they were, and he would literally walk up to each player. I remember him going up to Craig Dawson and basically just literally physically moving Dawson's body and going. 
Yeah. If your body's not this angle, he can go there. But if you're standing like this, he can't yeah. go there. And it yeah. was the level of information yeah. was yeah. just, I, 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 you know, I, I'd watched some good managers before. I, I, I loved watching Tony Mowbray on a, on a training field, for example. Yeah. But I had never, ever in, I think I was five years into the job at Albion at that point, I'd never seen anything like what Roy did. Yeah. Well, you know, going back to Pete's question, you know, would, you know Roy, Roy probably would probably be honest enough to say he didn't play at the top level. Uh, but in terms of his detail and and, and all those uh, minute things that that helps helps players along their way, um, that's what I'm on about. You know, Roy had it, and and Roy gave that on a daily basis. You know, it was a master class, and I know even speak. You know, we we laugh with Brunty and and Brunty. You know, it was it. People get a misconception about Roy. You know, Roy was it the same eleven v eleven every day? Did it bore the players? Uh, you know, it was it too much of that. But they learned every every day, position specific, where they were supposed to be, their roles and responsibilities, uh, and they were they were made accountable because of that. Because then it was reviewed on a on a Monday that you know did you do as as we as we sort of planned and. The players got that, and 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 then they could be accountable to their role and 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 their job on that on that particular game. So he was he was the first that gave me a, a, an all round um, team view, um, and was so good at it. And and also the repetition of it, Chris. I think it was you know he, he continued to to put that message across to them for two or three months until they actually got it. And, 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 and he knew then by his trained eye that they got it. And, um, and I think if you speak to players, I think majority would say one of the best coaches they've worked with. I know Ben Foster thinks a lot of him and I know that Chrissy Brunt and, and James Morrison do and Boas Myhill, the, the guys that were there. Does it make you laugh a little bit when he's he gets appointed Crystal Palace manager and people question the appointment purely based on his age? Yeah, it does. I, I have to say, I, I, you know, I, I know we're living in a modern world, but I, I do think we have a, a disregard for older managers, and and, and I think you know, um, I still I'm still all for British managers making their way. Chris, I'm absolutely, you know, I've worked with Dean Holden, I've worked with Stephen Schumacher, and I'm now working with. Uh, John Eustace, who are absolutely outstanding coaches in their own right. And I am desperate for them to go and make a living out of the game and to be really successful and to produce as many British coaches we possibly can. Um, you know, but I do think sometimes there's a disregard to the, you know, to the experience of what people have gone through. And, and I think they're invaluable people that you can learn from. Um, and Roy was certainly... You know, uh, it, it doesn't surprise me he's doing well. I know people will turn around and say, we well, didn't do very well at Watford, did he? He didn't keep them up. Um, but I think if he's got that certain type of player, he can certainly get the best out of them. And he's doing that at Palace now. And I speak to Dean Kiley quite regularly and we still have this. There's still the same sort of stories are coming out. He's um, he's, he's a, a very special coach. And um, yeah, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that he's doing well. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. He, uh, he then obviously leaves for England and in comes Steve Clark. Um, and if the, 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 the last season under Roy was good, the season under Steve that then happened was great. And that... The, the the forwards that we had at that time of Long, Odom, Wingy and Lukaku were just yeah. absolutely frightening. I mean, what 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 was it that took? I mean, was it was it Rom that took Albion to the next level, or was the was there something else with it within that season that that sort? Because we you know we we gone from a solid mid table team to a team that actually for much of the season threatened yeah, European right places. Absolutely, was right up there. Uh, I think we finished eighth eventually, but. Yeah. What was the difference? Well, well, Steve was really clever because Steve had recognised what Roy's work in terms of foundation, solidity, roles and responsibilities, shape of the team, all that sort of stuff was in place. And Steve was really bright enough to think, well, that doesn't need to be affected. Let's work on that still. But I think what he did is he probably added a few tweaks. Um I remember him sort of playing Pete Rod and Wingy out on the left wing and coming in on his right foot. And because Peter was a little bit irresponsible in certain areas in terms of his defending, so he tweaked and he put an extra midfield player and James Morrison played him behind. And he made these little tweaks that I thought was really clever at the time. And then you put the nail on the head, really. I think Chris is, you know, goals that, that obviously make the difference in terms of your top half finish them rather than your mid-table. And, and obviously, Ron coming in when he was 19. Um, again, a, a thirst, thirst for knowledge, really, really um, good pro at the age of 19, wanted to get better, worked on his game. Peter was a natural talent and obviously adored by the supporters and and, and, and getting your regular 15, 17 goals a season in the Premier League was, was fantastic. And Longy would give you that sort of outlet where he would run and chase and um, was very underrated, I thought, Shane, and gave a, a huge benefit to Albion at the time because of his his work rate and turning those average balls into good balls, always a problem. I always remember John Terry saying he was one of the difficult, most difficult opponents to play against because you never knew where he was. He would come late, he'd jump, he had a fantastic leap, strong player, and I always thought he was probably never... Probably, probably submit himself, probably didn't score enough. Probably he was a nine-goal, ten-goal-a-season man. But those three were a real handful. Um, with, with, that... with Longy, Keith, does it get underestimated as well? Because I went, obviously, as you know, I was at the club around this time. And and, and, and what I had said to me a lot after, after Longy left is that maybe just by half a percent, the intensity dropped in training because Longy was just such a ferocious trainer that yeah. he would never he would never give defenders a day off and that no. through no intention of anybody Longy going out the club actually lowered the level in training absolutely he was a huge miss um 
you know, that was, uh, you know, I just, I just thought he fitted West Brom's identity and what it was. And I think, you know, I know Roy, uh, I think Roy brought him in. I think it was him and Ben Foster. And I remember him in the recruitment saying, look, I, if I can't have any other money, I want to get long and I want to get Foster. And obviously there were two most important positions, a centre forward and, and, a, and, a, and a goalkeeper. And, you know, with both those, a massive addition to, to the squad. And I, and I think once Longy left, we were we were scratching around. I think obviously we had a few um, signings. I think Georgie Samaras came in. I think um, Brown Idea was in. Um, so, they, you know, he'd never really replaced Longy in terms of his work and his just what he gave the team and I think he was very grossly under underestimated really long and I think obviously he's now staying I saw him actually at um where was he I think he was at uh Reading yeah saw him last uh, just the season just gone so still continue his career at 35 36 so yeah um good type good pro uh good for what good for West Brom at the time one of my one of my favourite uh, moments with Longy, I, I once I think it was after the after the Liverpool game where where he where he won the he won the penalty where I yeah. think uh, the the centre half didn't see him coming and he nicked yeah. it off him. Yeah. Um. And I and I actually just I was stood in the corridor and I uh, and I and I said to I said to Longy, I said like these guys are twice your size. You never like worried about them absolutely flattening uh, flattening you. Mm. And because he used to be a hurling player, he said he yeah. said give them a stick and then I'll be scared of them. Yeah. Yeah. He's physical. Chris is physical, shoulder to shoulder. He was a strong boy, you know. He wasn't obviously six plus, but he could jump as well. And uh, that was all through his um, through his hurling days. And I think he could have been a champion hur- uh, hurdle um, hurdler. I think so. Um, yeah, he was. He was very much an athlete. And um, and him and Pete. I mean, Peter. Were, you know, obviously we had we had all sorts of issues with Peter. Obviously with the transfer stuff and all that was the the story going down to QPR, but. Again, he was an important, integral part of, of Albin's good days there. And um, again, uh, an underestimated player. Was that the difference between Steve Clark season one and Steve Clark season two? The amount of goals that just went out of the out of the team. Obviously, we tried really hard to get Romelu yeah. back on loan. We got yeah. pipped at the post by by Everton, uh, yeah. and by January, you'd lost both Long and Odom Wingy as well. Yeah, and yeah. with the best will in the world, obviously. Mate, um, Victor Inichibi and uh, Nicholas Anelka came in as the replacements yeah. for Lukaku, yeah. Odomwingi and Long. Yeah. And just didn't they, score didn't score the same number of goals. Yeah, yeah. Sessignon as well, I think. Mm. Sessignon was in. Um yeah, Chris, it was, you know, it, it's not like a rocket scientist. You lose those those type of goals. I mean, Rom had scored, I think he got seventeen in that, and he was he wasn't he wasn't a regular. I mean, he shared some time there because he was nineteen, he was still learning the game. So he wasn't a permanent fixture at West Brom at the time. He was coming, uh, coming on and off the bench and, and and playing a few games as well. He was just developing and learning. I mean, he was a huge man mountain of, of a chap, and you know, you, you can under sometimes you can forget he's only nineteen years of age at the time. So, um, especially when he basically finished Jamie Carragher's career on the opening yeah, day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was uh, there was they, they were huge players for us, and obviously not not seeding that deal in the in the in the summer um we had him in the door actually we had him in the door and um everton i think it was the fellaini deal that killed us the fellaini had gone to man united and everton suddenly had all the money and then uh, took took rom up to everton uh, i think rom was prepared to come and come back for a second season so that was a huge miss and and then victor victor anachibi and um you know trying to replace him and obviously just couldn't find the goals and so we were 
yeah, we were we were we were short of goals, and and of course that obviously had an effect in terms of Steve Steve moving on in January, which was I, 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 it's still a you know a very sad day for me because Steve had a huge amount of respect, and I I don't know, Chris, you could you could maybe tell me I, I never quite understood maybe Albion didn't really appreciate him for what he really was. I don't think he was the most in terms of um, you know. Uh, Outward going in terms of managing, but he was an excellent manager, a really excellent manager, and I thought he did a fantastic job after Roy because it was a huge uh, shoes to fill, and I thought he he was excellent when he was here. Well, I, I was going to say that to you because I, I, I mean I'll share my experience of it because I, I I remember that day at Cardiff very very well, and uh, obviously yes, it was the fourth defeat on the spin. Um, I think we were six without a win at, at that point, so the form wasn't great, but. With previous managers, you'd kind of got a little a little feel for it. I mean, for example, in in my role, uh, like um, after we lost to Manchester City, Robbie, uh, I, I wasn't given Robbie to interview, which was highly unusual for uh, for, mm. for me. And I kind of thought, oh, this is not a good sign, you know. But Steve came out after the Cardiff game. He spoke, and I mm. I honestly was shocked. We we were we were in the car on on the drive home, and and there was and the, uh, the chairman put a call in to basically tell us that that there needed to be there was going to need to be a statement on the website and mm. i think we were all we were all taken aback to be mm. honest i don't think we saw it coming and and no. you know having 8 years at a football club we we went through managers the way most mm. mo- most people go through hot dinners some of them you saw coming and some of them you weren't overly surprised when they moved on and then there was but steve was one that i have to say Caught me on my heels a little bit. Did it? Mm. Did did the did his dismissal catch you out? Massive shot. No one saw it coming. Actually, going into the training ground at nine o'clock from the Cardiff game, um, all the lights on the training ground were on, and that's never really you know that doesn't happen. You know, um, so we knew that straight straight away as we came into the training ground entrance, it was um, Steve looked across and. I don't, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Steve didn't see it coming either, so none of us did. And um, yeah, it was it was a huge surprise. And I, I, you know, uh, listen, we, we'd lost four on the bounce. I, yeah, things weren't great, but equally we weren't in the bottom three. Um, but obviously, Jeremy Peace had had other ideas. And um, yeah, we but were sixteenth, weren't we? I, I actually had a look earlier. We were sixteenth. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, listen, it's all, it's all right in hindsight. You look back on those days. I, I thought it was. I thought he was harshly treated. I thought he was, you know, I thought he, he'd at least have a, an opportunity to try and put things right. I was hugely disappointed. I was, you know, and and, and I have to say it was um, it was tough to see him go. And I actually thought, you know, we were all we were all going to go there, but at the time, but you no, know, it was just Kev Keane and, and and Steve went, and then obviously then I just had to take the reins for over a Christmas period, it was around about December time, wasn't it? I think December January. So, and that was a, you know. Um, that was a you know tinge with a lot of disappointment really for Steve you know how does that conversation happen Keith because because you you're you you're probably understandably emotional about about Steve having gone and then and then you presumably get pulled into a room and get asked to to take the team that's it's got to be it's got to be a weird moment in your career yeah yeah absolutely because you're you're supporting the manager to the best of your ability, and and obviously you feel that you've let him down. He's he's taken he's, he's taken uh, the responsibility and gone, and then you feel yourself that you know. Well, the bottom line is we're all we're all responsible. It's not just the head coach. So, um, 
yeah, I can remember really being massively disappointed going to see him. Um, he gave me advice: look, don't you can't walk away. You've got to you do as you're told. You know, just make sure that you you take the, if the team they want you to take the team, they do the best of your ability. And and so Steve was very um, understanding about it. But you know, it's still I have to say uh, a very very difficult time in in my career to to do that and. But then your professional head comes on and you have to do what you can do for the football club. It pays you and 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 making sure you have to be the best you can be. And and that was the case, myself and Dean. And um, I think Dave Oldfield at the time as well stepped up and we took the team and um, we tried to get it, um, you know, tried to get it back to some sort of stability. And, and obviously the players were shocked as well, Chris. You know, it was a huge... Huge shock across, and uh, you know, people like Chrissy Brunt and, and Ben Foster were really surprised about it. And um, we had to come into training the next couple of days and, and try and get ready for the Christmas period because it was a really busy time. You know, we were playing, I think we played Tottenham on, I think it was, um, was it Christmas uh, Boxing Day? And then we played on the 28th at 12 o'clock at West Ham. So it literally wasn't even 48 hour turnaround and we were going, that was two away trips to, to London. So we had to stay down over, over that period of time. So it was, um, you know, you, 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 you couldn't really um, have time to think about it. You had to get going. I just want to go back to the um, transfers at the start of that season. Obviously, yeah. you mentioned that we lost Shane Long, Adam Wingy, um and Lukaku. Obviously, didn't yeah. come back. Um, yeah. How much, well, obviously it would have had impact on Steve Clark for the season, but is it, largely out of a manager's hands, um, the kind of transfers that come in? Is that separate? Is that like purely down um, to recruitment team? I, I, think, I, I think there's really a process about, um, there's a list, obviously, of players to replace those players. So it, 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 there is a sort of um, a recruitment drive behind the scenes. Um, but ultimately, it rests with Steve. Um, but then, obviously, there's a process of saying, look, there's... A particular position centre forward. There's four or five other names, um, and then obviously we, we we go to work. Whether we look at them in terms of the video clips or whether people have been out to see them, and, and obviously reports. So I think now, Pete, is that there's very much now a, a more stats based um, across the board. Now back then, it was more um, chief scout recruiting uh, at the time Dan Ashworth was was very much a big recruiter as well would go and see a lot of games so there was a certain process put in place so if we didn't have a Lukaku who was next on the list and obviously Victor Anachibi was was right up there and, and in terms of and then there was a brown ID and people like that so that was always put into place and obviously the managers then after the final say and decide whether they, they come in board come on board um but there's certainly certain the criteria is done behind. It's not just ad hoc and, and just plucking somebody out of the and looking at the nearest newspaper, so to speak. Over those five games, then uh, Keith, I mean, you got you got Albion six points, which in the end turned out to be absolutely massive in our season. And as I say, we we hadn't we hadn't won in six before that. So to get six points out of five games and some really, really tough games, as you say, back-to-back away games, Tottenham, who were a good side, West Ham, who were not a bad side by any stretch of the imagination, a massive win against Newcastle, there was a draw against Hull, and then, of course, the uh, the, the one defeat, which was against Southampton. I mean, look, just one of my, um, I'm going to say my personal feelings here. I felt over the course of that season that you and Dean did not get the credit um, 
from the support base, um, I'll happily say this for the job that you did keeping us in 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 the in the in the Premier League. I think there is more appreciation for it now because people like Ben has spoken about it on his podcast. He had Brunty on as well, who spoke about it. I, I heard Gareth McCauley briefly talk about it on a on an interview as well. So I think there's I think there's a greater appreciation now for the job that you and Dean did, but. Was it in any way, shape, or form frustrating at the time that, that that people, you know, that people didn't possibly appreciate it, or is that just football and you kind of have to roll with the punches a little bit? Yeah, I, 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 I think it's the professionalism, really. I think um, you have to do your job, and I think it's really important that you know the club pays you the wage, and you have to do the best you can for the for the club. And I, I think at the time um, it was really difficult, Chris, because. Off the back of Steve going, that was a huge shock, as we've all mentioned. And then having to take uh, the team. So obviously you go into, you know, coach mode, um, manager mode, pick the team. I mean, my first process was obviously to get over the Christmas period. So it was such a huge amount of games and what was the schedule and how we were going to approach that. So never really had time to think about any adulation or anything or managing or anything like that it was just to try and get the next couple of games, like you said, to steady the ship, to try and get some confidence back in the team. We changed the system to a back five. I can remember going to Tottenham and um, that was, a, you know, um, that was through a bit of training before we went to Tottenham and I kept that with the West Ham game as well. Um, so, yeah, there was a slight tweak trying to get, players to play um with a bit more confidence uh so that was my first first really um uh target and then with Pepe coming in you know there was huge expectation a Spanish coach coming in um and I, I remember at the time there was a lot of positive feeling about it um I was interested to go and work with a Spanish coach um I think what had happened as well Chris I think people had sort of there was a lot of speculation. I think Tim Sherwood was was due to come in and I think sort of didn't come in because he couldn't bring his own staff in. And I think that had an adverse effect on probably myself and Dean that probably people said, well, he's been with Roy, he's been with Steve Clark. Isn't it about time he goes as well? So I think that had a, an adverse effect because Pepe then got the fact that the, you know, the reason Pepe didn't succeed because he couldn't bring his Spanish coaches and that's how difficult it was. And, I could honestly say now, and, 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 and you know, I didn't. It's not. I didn't. I didn't think it was my my my, uh, my uh, position to go and speak out. And but we we supported and Chris, you were there. We supported Pepe as 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 much as we possibly could. It was a difficult situation for him because of the language barrier to start with. We had an interpreter that had come in, um, Dave Gomez. So. Pepe wanted to do all the work himself. Um, he wanted to put his methods across. And as you know, we were there as much support as we possibly could on that particular time. And I think I had an adverse effect. The fact the results weren't going well, he can't bring his own people in. It's down to Kylie and Downing. They're in the way. And I think that's what probably stirred up really the negativity. Um, And I wasn't prepared to go and speak to anybody about that. I just get your head down, do the best you can for Pepe. and And that's what I tried to do. And, and as you know, that we got over the line somehow, and that was that was a difficult last six months because you're 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 going to support your head coach that comes along the way, and it and it was awkward because clearly the players weren't um, 
weren't entirely accepting some of the methods that he wanted to implement. And, um, and they're, you know, you're in between because obviously they're, they're coming to you to speak about it. And, but equally you're there to support the, the manager. And I can honestly say I never, ever, um, didn't not, uh, sort of stick the knife in pepper and say, look, you know, I was always there for him and he, he'll he'd probably tell you so. He had him on, you know, I was there as Dean was to support the head coach. And it, it was just so difficult because of the language and because of the methods that Pepe wanted to implement. But, Somehow we had to keep the status and the chairman was very much aware of that and was very worried about going down, obviously, revenue-wise. So it was really, it was a collective effort that we had to get over the line. And Pepe, in fairness, recognised that and we had a bit more uh, licence to go on the, on the training field and, and we, we, we worked together and, and we somehow we got over the line. Yeah, because, I mean, that that's the thing for me, it, it, certainly to my eyes and like, you know, obviously I'm very open about the fact that I'm not I'm not coach uh, a coach and I wasn't coaching staff. But from from what I saw, it looked like, um, you know, Pepe was was a nice fella. Everybody, everybody liked him. But it was just a difficulty in getting information across. And for me, that was no more evident than than Villa away when uh, when obviously we raced into into a lead yeah. and um, but then carried on carrying out the pre match tactics and, yeah. and and as I understand it that at, at half time there was there was a bit of a discussion of why haven't you dropped off and it's like because we didn't know we had to and uh, yeah. and there just there, there just seemed to be and I, uh, did did that probably lead to because there there was mad results. Towards yeah. the end of that season, four three at Villa, three three at Spurs, three three against Cardiff, and it, yeah. it it seemed like that sort of like difficulty in just getting information across, which was probably yeah. the polar opposite to what they'd had with Roy, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. was uh, w- was pro- probably led to, to to some of those absolutely crazy games that we were in towards the end of that season. Yeah, I, I think also it's about the type of player you've got in your team in terms of what you've got recruitment wise. So we had a. We had a Chrissy Brunt, the McCauleys, and um, you know, uh, you know, the Ben Fosters, and and I think what Pepe wanted to implement was um, a total, uh, total football game, and 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 a high pressing game, a high intensity game. So, uh, and I remember, you know, the players that we had were, I mean, I even uh, do you remember Lugano, who was a Uruguayan international playing? It, I think he played against Villa. He did, um, yeah. And, you know, you're exposing these players to a high-pressing game and clearly these players weren't uh, adapted to do that. And it, it was a, it was something against, you know, Pepe wanted to put his principles and his philosophy over, but it was clearly that the players that we had at our disposal at the time were were struggling to do that and it was it was uncomfortable for them to do that. We had a, a real solid structure with Roy and Steve had continued that and then suddenly to open up and to play the way that we um, that Pep wanted us to play um, was clearly difficult. Now, my, you, you know, your listeners might say, "Well, clearly players should adapt to whatever they've been told to do." But if your physicality is that can't do that, and you can't get about the pitch as much as you, the manager wants you to, then clearly that's a that's a difficult situation to have. And um, you know, and, and clearly that was that was a problem. And the players were. I have to say, you know, the players really did try and adapt to it. You know, there wasn't a, a mutiny, uh, as maybe people may have thought. It was just the fact that they realised, and there were some really good pros in the dressing room going, going, well, we just can't, we can't do what what the manager wants us to do. Um, and in the end, it was just had to be tapered in a little bit, and we had to adjust. And eventually, um, 
we all had a you know we all had all had a view about how how, how the team should look and, and try and get over the line and accumulate as many points as we can to survive. And that was the back end. I think we we did it at Norwich. I think we won one 0 with Alma Fatano's goal, and and clearly that was a massive relief for everybody. Um, and 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 at the end of the season, obviously Pepe had realised it was it was it was a difficult situation here, and I, I think. I wouldn't say half expected it, but certainly realised that you know that was difficult for him to uh, to carry on. I mean, it sounds quite similar to a situation we've had in the past couple of years with Valerian Ishmael. He's had a very intense style and maybe we yeah. didn't have the squad for it. So do you think it's yeah. more down to the coaching staff to come in and adapt their kind of style of play that they want to play to the individuals that they've got in the squad? Or is yeah. it more down to the players to kind of, you know, coaching staff have got a strict philosophy of, style of play whatever that they want to play and the players have to adapt to that yeah I I, I I think there's a little bit of both but I think I think Pete to be to be I, I would personally from my experiences be you know know what's at, at our disposal you know we're currently at Birmingham City and, and and we've we've had a similar situation at the start of the season we've conceded 75 goals season prior so clearly that's an indication that there's too many goals conceded so I think you go into a club and you realise what you have at your disposal, what are the deficiencies, what's been the problem, and then you try and adapt to that. But equally, you have to know what type of player you've got. On top of that, Pete, then is obviously if you're still trying to adapt your philosophy, you end up recruiting your, the people that can adapt to that and to, and to to work to that criteria. So recruitment is matched up with uh, your style of play. Um, the difficulty is obviously if you're going somewhere in the middle of the season, you've got current players that that don't fit your style of play then you 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 do have problems so um i think it's a it's a it's a case of evolving and i think eventually when you put your you have to maybe temper your your uh, your philosophy to start with get over the line and then obviously then your chance to recruit and to get better people that that fit your system and fit the way you want to play then then obviously that's then down to the recruitment and then down to you know physical stats as well you know if you're asking for a team to be high pressing then you've got to make sure that you get physically the right people that can do that in the right jobs and the right positions before we talk just generally about uh, about coaching uh, Keith and draw on your your 20 years experience in 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 that in that area I just want to talk about one more moment because it would be remiss of us to ignore it because you, you you had five games as caretaker manager, yet you got chucked probably one of the biggest challenges and bizarrest incidents in many respects of any Albion manager's tenure when at West Ham with with the Cornell incident. Yeah, I mean, you didn't have the benefit that we had up in the press box as that was breaking of being able to Google what the blooming heck that meant because none of us had heard that word before. Um, as as it was as it was suddenly breaking, and suddenly we've got to become authorities on the subject. As a as a as a coach, having to then go into a post match press conference where you know you're going to be asked about this thing, where you just genuinely are are not going to be anywhere near enough informed about it to because nobody could be in ten minutes, you know, and that's all you've really got after a game is ten minutes. Um, yeah. that's got to be such an incredibly difficult situation to to handle and I'll be honest I mean I was there at at, at Upton Park that day I wouldn't have wished it upon anyone not not least your good self no it was um 
it was a bizarre day, wasn't it? I just, I'd, I'd actually sat down, I had a mug of tea in my hand. John Simpson came in, we've got a massive problem. Um, said, look, Nicholas's celebration is uh, anti Semitic, it's caused loads of problems in France. Um, so I've just looked at him absolutely gobsmacked, not sure exactly what, he's, what he means by it all, as you said. Um, I thought, well, the first thing I have to do is speak to Nicholas himself. So, um, just pulled him to the side and said, look, your celebration, it's the Quinell. Um, it's a, a friend of mine. Um, I think he was a French comedian, he said. Um, and I said, look, you know, there's, there's massive issues in, in France as we speak, you know, uh, anti-Semitic. What, what you, what's your views on it? Uh, he, he absolutely denied all that and said, look, it's a, it's a gesture to my friend. Um, I had to go with that. And and um, I said, look, this is this is really important. I need you to be honest with me. That's exactly what he said. Um, then I still wasn't sure what it politically meant. Um, but going in, as you said, you've only got ten minutes to do it. And um, we all do these pro licenses, Chris, and these qualifications. And, and uh, I kept thinking, well, this is. They've never trained me for this. So you go they, in there. They missed and that lesson out, did they? Missed that one. And it was um, ironically came up. Actually, I was in a, I was in a. I'll tell you this little story. I was actually in um, my pro license at, at the end, and we had this media training day. And Henry Winter had turned up, the um, the writer, obviously for the I think it's for the Times or Telegraph, or and if so, he's a famous sports writer, Henry. And he came in, and he was slightly late for the meeting. Um, and uh, one of the uh, tutors had said to him, "Look, Henry, can you just give?" Uh, a little bit of advice to the to the um, to the class, and and he said, look, you know, always be prepared, always be prepared when you go in there, you know, for all eventualities. He said, I'll tell you one thing: uh, the, the the lad Keith Downing wasn't prepared for the for the Quinell story. But the funny thing was, Chris Henry didn't know I was in the class, so everybody's now turning around and looking at me and I've slid down my chair because I'm thinking, I'm not going to give him the great, I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of actually, so, oh, you know, going back on himself. So some one of the lads had said, well, explain yourself more to that, Henry. And he said, well, he went in there totally underprepared. He got absolutely, um, it was lying, you know, it was the, it was sent to the wolves, so to speak. So he said that obviously I wasn't prepared, didn't have enough information and, uh, and and was kind of drowned in the media. So uh, I suddenly now sat up and said, "Henry, I'm Keith Downing," and he completely turned red and and then turned around, Chris, to try and get out. He said, "But you did a good job, didn't you?" And then all the class went, "Oh, I'm not having that," you know. So, but going back to it, you know, what do you do? You have got ten minutes. You're trying to find out what it really means. You don't really understand. You go and speak to the player. You you try and have a relationship to say, look, this is a really serious thing. We need to know, you know, what was your... He said it was in support of him. Um, I didn't know all the details. All I could turn around and say, look, you know, Nicholas was um, supporting a friend of his in France. And, and that's what I said. And, and he said, well, would you pick him uh, for the following game? And I said, well, on football terms, I would do. But if it means to be a political thing and it needs to go further, then we have to, we have to be... Um, you know, mindful of that. So it was a difficult 10 minutes or 15 minutes. I was there. They had no questions on the game. It was all about the, the celebration. So baptism of fire. But, you know, and if, if you remember, Chris, we actually had to have a few more um, 
Sky meetings on the Monday and the Tuesday and the Wednesday, if I'm if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. So uh, I remember having some um, John, a good colleague of our John Simpson, obviously trying to get more information about it on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We obviously had more um, more information on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I have to say, from somebody who works. Uh, has worked in the media and now teaches um, football journalism to students. I have a, an enormous amount of sympathy for managers in those in those situations because something like that happens and suddenly the people sitting down in front of you expect you to have become a expert on it on something that you previously had no knowledge about in zero zero amount of time. But I suppose that's kind of like, unfortunately, with social media and television and and that's and that's the evolution of the job and yeah. i suppose that brings me on to on on on, on to the, the next thing that i just wanted to ask you about keith i mean you've been you've been in coaching mm-hmm. now you know pretty much since you retired in around 2000 wasn't it um yeah. how much has has the, has the has the role changed how much how much have players changed because when when i when i started out at the albion there wasn't any social media. We're talking 2014 now. And it, to be honest, if a player did too many TV interviews, his, his teammates were calling him busy and, and he was getting stick in the in the dressing room. And the, the dressing room was a real sanct- uh, a sanctum. It mm. doesn't seem quite the same way anymore. It seems like now the done thing is for players to come out and, and speak and put statements on their social media. And if they've if they've made a mistake in a game... They have to apologise like no player has ever made a mistake mm. in a game before. And it, it just seems to have... And, and that, that obviously... I imagine that that then presents a challenge to the coaches and the managers, doesn't it? Yeah, it's hugely difficult for players these days. You know, I mean, as you said, it's 24-7 now. Um, I, I, for, for me personally, I, I, I've always said to players, try not to use it, but that's difficult now. You, you know, you're talking about I'm, my boys are on it all the time. So, you know, you, you have to understand that's the way of the world these days. But you have to be hugely careful um, because um, obviously there's, there's that much scrutiny over everything now. So I think it's really important for them to get educated with it. I think at a younger age, I think people need to, to help them and, and knowing what to put and, and, and knowing what to keep away from and what the dangers and the, and the difficulties are. So an education program really for them at an early age. I know that happens in the academies and I know that that's, that goes ahead. Um, to answer your question, yeah, huge difference from 20 years ago. Um, I think in terms of you have to evolve as a coach. You have to make sure that you are learning all sorts of types of ways to connect with players. I still think there's an honesty about and and um, and uh, a, a situation where you have to be uh, helpful for them. You have to be there for them. You have to support them um, and give as much knowledge and 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 um, I always say about love, but it, it, it's, it is the caring side of it. I think more and more now, mental effectness, mental welfare for people, I think that's that's huge as well. Um, and I think it has changed, and I think we, we need more and more support for the players. Uh, and I think that's that's coming, but I think, you know, it's not enough at the moment. But certainly from my point of view, it's about um, helping the player in terms of the game, but also helping them off the field as well if they need anything. And I think, it, you know, it's um, it's becoming now more and more um, apparent and becoming now um, more out there and people are starting to get a bit more aware of the situations that people go through. And I think that's that's only a good thing. How much has has data 
come into it for you, for you, Keith. I mean, obviously, we we use we use it a lot to uh, to help us on this on this podcast. But I'm just wondering, inside the walls of a football club, how 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 much because uh, you talk about the very human element there, and I appreciate that's extremely important. Some people see the the data element as quite cold numbers on a numbers on a uh, on a page. The data is really important, Chris. You know, um, I, I think what you have to do is the data is really a filter. And I think what's really important now is becoming more prominent now in terms of selecting the right players. You've got now evidence, uh, and I think that's really important that the actual data backs up what you what you think with your your naked eye. So uh, it's hugely uh, now prominent in in all football clubs, and I don't think there's many football clubs that don't use it and don't have, and have the old fashioned of scouting people. I think there's still scouts out there, but I, I think equally. It's very important in terms of statistics of what people are. So if you're looking for a right winger and how many crosses does he make, what does he ground, does he cover, you know, what does he compare to the rest of the the league, um, all those things are are evident to you, and 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 obviously that that narrows down your selective um, process. So I, I think it's huge, and I think it's so important. I just use the word filter. I think it filters down because I think you have to be careful how much data you use and not be blinded by the stats. I think you have to eventually have that that gut feeling and that naked eye in terms of that feeling about what does he, does he fit your characteristics. Um, and I think, you know, with a whole holistic collective data and human element, then you try and pick, you know, you, there's, there's more chance of you getting those transfers right the recruitment right and I think it has to be done and I think also we do it in terms of match day data you know we review and again evidence for the player to look and actually numbers there for him to to see and uh, you know so if you do have a debate did you run enough well the data is there and and obviously that that builds relationships up as well it's not just uh, my view and, and and the player's view it's 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 then obviously the data then can give us the information so I, I, it's hugely part of it all um that's one thing that i've evolved from and in, in, in terms of using it more i think it's uh, naive of somebody that don't need it i think it's really important for people to uh, to use and it's becoming more and more prominent now with most clubs and most coaches and the last point I want to touch on before we draw to a close, because you've been extremely generous with your time, Keith, and we really appreciate that, is just just a point around the championship generally, because obviously you've been in at um, at Bristol City and now Birmingham, um, so you've seen the, the, the championship very close up. And it seems mm. to me that, that there's a bit of a worrying trend going that there is, there's not a lot of money. Uh, a lot of championship clubs, we're seeing points deductions, most seasons for yeah. someone is it getting to a, a worrying yeah. stage now where potentially what is going on off the pitch is going to determine team seasons more than what actually goes on on it well it's certainly evident that that happens yeah it's it's a worrying trend obviously you want clubs to be run um diligently and sensibly um we all try for the promised land. All, all clubs try and get to the Premier League. It's hugely beneficial to get there, uh, but at what cost? You know, and and uh, you know, I think a business really should be run properly. I think it should be r- the constraints of what we can uh, and can't afford. Um, so we all want success, uh, but I think the one thing about football clubs is 
we probably need a bit more transparency. I think the supporters really should get more transparency of where the club is at. Um, I know in Germany they're very much fan-based run um, clubs, but I think it's important that uh, I think pre-COVID, obviously, that there was a lot of money thrown around. Um, some have suffered for it. And I think it's really important that people just live to their capabilities and what, what they can and can't do. And I think if the, if the, if the supporters are then put in there in, in terms of being told that this is where we're going for, this is the identity, this is what we're looking for. Um, and I think, I think majority of supporters will understand that. And I think that it's just the fact that people are doing it discreetly, do it quietly, um, don't know what's going on. And I think that then proves really difficult for, 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 for people to understand. And then obviously people get into difficulties. Um, but everybody has tried pre-COVID. I think now there's a bit more sensible, sensible sort of um, run football clubs. I think people will now look at it and try and keep the club afloat first and foremost. And I think that's important. Um, but I've always said, you know, the big thing for me is about, I'm probably going back to your, going back to the stat side of it. You know, it, it's a, it's a philosophy of the football club. What do you want to get out of it? What's the identity of it? What do you want to see on a Saturday every time you come and watch? Is it youngsters progressing? Is it development? In which case, we're going to take some hits. We're going to get beat, but there's going to be some real good youngsters coming through. Or do you want results and going to the Premier League? Well, you're going to have to fund that. And and are you are you prepared to back that? You know, with sensible funding. So. I think it's everything. I think, you know, the big thing is about what does the club want from it and what's the identity of the football club and how are you going to go and get those results? And and then the managers really, they're not under so much pressure because, you know, um, you know they want results winning at, at all costs. They're, well, well, the funds sometimes don't make that really difficult. If you're competing against the Burnley, all due respects, they're having parachute money coming down. They're on sort of four times as much than than your current club, difficult to compete. Um, and the problem is that the managers come under huge pressure. Um, and why can't you win? Why can't you beat Burnley every week? Why can't you be up there all the time? Well, you've only got a certain amount of money to use. And don't get me wrong, Chris, there's some overachievers and there's some underachievers. But generally where you pay out is generally where you get. And that's that's where it's at. But it's prepared to do it on an on a sensible format and not to put the club into jeopardy. Of course, we're one of those clubs that is is in a concerning situation at the moment. So, and you you were there uh, at the club when when the takeover happened. So, my final question of a, of a wonderful wonderful podcast with you, Keith, is did you did you see any signs that th- this could be the start of a very worrying time for Albion, or are you, or, or are you as surprised as as everybody else that we've managed to get ourselves into the apparently worrying financial hole that, that that we appear to be in well it was always it was always uh, run very prudently from from Jeremy Peace and Mark Jenkins they were always uh they were always above board with the management they knew exactly what was what, what we're spending and um was prepared to say no and uh, you know on, on numerous times but it was always a steady ship and you knew exactly where you were with it you sometimes were a little bit frustrated because you were you were trying to get more wins and trying to get the club up higher up the league, but there was only a certain amount of money that you can spend and 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 and, and be successful. So it was always run very very steadily and always run um, according to what people could spend. And I think 
that was why it was so steady. And I think sometimes then people might say, well, that's a lack of ambition. We need more funds. We need to be progressive. We need to go up the league more. We need to have more players. And that's when there's huge danger signs. So um, am I, I'm worried about a lot of clubs, Chris. I think, you know, it, it's just everyone's trying to get the, to the promised land and be successful. But at what cost? And I think, you know, when we're long gone, Chris, you know, hopefully there'll still be a West Bromwich Albion, a Birmingham City. You know, we don't want to put these into like a Berry situation and, 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 and fall out of the league completely. So um, there is a duty of care, really, for the people that come along and, in terms of ownerships. And we still want our football clubs to thrive and be successful. But, you know, just in terms of being sensible about it. Here, here, Keith. I, I can't think of a better sentiment to to end this podcast on. And uh, look, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. It's been thoroughly enjoyable and really, really enlightening. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Pete. Thank you very much. Thanks, Keith. Wonderful. Well, uh, that is uh, that's all from uh, from Keith. But remember, join us again for another Albion analysis. Until then, thank you and up the bag. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.